When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome to the Titan-Sized Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan-Sized Podcast, Matthias Wadner, Will Lomas. We are back today to preview the Tennessee Titans' third preseason game against the Chicago Bears in Nashville. Before we get to that, we have a special guest joining the show this week. His name is Jim Coburn. You can find him out on Twitter, at Jimmetrics. He has a blog, draftcoburn.wordpress.com, and he has a YouTube channel called Common Man Football. This is a guy who absolutely immerses himself every year in the NFL draft. He writes a 1,700-page preview every year, uh, and most of what he does deals with analytics. Will, I know that Jim is someone that you have a lot of respect for, especially his opinions and what he does in terms of his prep for the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, everybody hears metrics and analytics, and they think, like, 40-time, three-cone, all that. He goes down into hand size, age percentile, market shares, all this detailed information that you just don't get anywhere else. He's one of the most important follows I have on Twitter. I think market share is an interesting stat, especially because when you get into college football, you have these programs that are smaller, like a Western Michigan with a Corey Davis and you get to see that, wow, Corey Davis had an incredible percentage of Western Michigan's offense, whereas if you go to a much bigger school like Alabama, a guy like O.J. Howard, though he's an athletic freak, he doesn't have as much of a percentage of their offensive production in general. Yeah, I mean, it helps you kind of break down stuff. Uh, For example, Calvin Johnson only had 1,200 receiving yards his last year in uh, at Georgia Tech, I mean, if he played at Texas Tech or if he played in a spread offense, that would be nothing. But because he played at Georgia Tech, you know, that really shows you he's, you know, 80% of the offense, 60% of the offense, whatever it is, it's a high percentage of the market share, which is why it's such a great tool. So we're going to go ahead and welcome Jim into the show right now. Jim, good evening. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Excited, you know, because college football is coming up. Uh, this weekend, so uh, and also NFL football, of course. But yeah, I'm pretty exciting. Before we get into start, just starting to talk about actual 
uh, numbers. I want you to give all of our listeners a bit of an overview of what you do. We talked a second ago about what market share means, but just kind of give everybody an overview of the vocabulary you use and what it is you look at and what it is you do. Sure. Uh, Well, the basic way to explain analytics to anybody is all you essentially are doing is is you're trying to take a trait, uh, whether it's production traits or athleticism traits, and put a number to it, you know, from a 0 to 100 scale. Uh, So, you know, if, if you're talking about market share data, you're talking about taking the concept of taking an individual statistic, so say yardage, uh, say a wide receiver has 1,000 yards, and then dividing it by the team total yardage, which is like 4,000 yards, for example, and then you get 25% market share. But what you do is you take that number and you compare it to all the other wide receiver performances, and then, boom, you have essentially what analytics is. In many ways, it's just a way to you know to take the number compare it so there's some substance behind it because i think there's a lot of people who just throw out numbers like oh this this quarterback had a 66 percent completion percentage or they have this such and such you know yardage but they don't actually get into what that means you know what does 66 percent mean relative to peers and does it matter to be above average does it matter to be below average you know in a lot of ways you're you're in analytics, you're trying to take a hypothesis, like say, well, I think cornerbacks who have very long arms typically do better, and then you test it. You know, you see, do long arm cornerbacks typically do better than shorter arm cornerbacks? You basically, you know, do that over and over again. So it, it covers a lot of ground. I mean, there's so many different people who do analytics. You know, as you guys know, Justice Muscata with force players, that's a very specific type of analytics. You have all the market share. Uh, sort of fantasy football guys who do that whole production side of things. And you have guys like me who just kind of do a little bit of everything, you know. So uh, it's, you know, it, it, it's a – analytics in many ways is, is a term that can get kind of a little crazy because people think it just means one thing, but it, it covers a wide span of, like, tons of different topics, you know. You, injury analytics, you know, could even be a, a topic, which I haven't seen too many people do injury analytics, but basically looking at, you know, how often a – player gets injured and what are the chances of re-injury stuff like that i mean everything can be analytics but that's the basic sort of over overviews you're taking numbers and you're trying to test the hypothesis as to you know what matters in football you know and, and to try to figure out what traits should we be looking at you know from a, a numbers perspective so let's hop right into the numbers and before we start talking about some titans players i have a couple of cornerbacks I want to ask about a little selfishly we were talking a minute ago that I think other than the two big dog edge rushers in the NFL Von Miller and Khalil Mack I think that cornerback Patrick Peterson is the best player in the NFL and also another cornerback uh, Lions cornerback Darius Slay I think is one of the most overrated underrated players in the NFL just because of how well he plays and not many people understand who he is. Give us some numbers on those guys that relate to their success in the NFL, both of them coming from bigger programs. Well, you know, to start with Patrick Peterson, uh, just to, you know, get him out of the way. The basic way I explain him is he's in many ways kind of like the Calvin Johnson of, of cornerbacks. And I mean that just in terms of the fact that when it comes to his explosive lower body strength score, which is a measure of his uh, vertical and broad jump, you know, basically his lower body power. He had a 99.42 overall score when it comes to his lower body strength. 
He had a 99.91 speed score, which is basically speed for his size compared to his peers, and a 99.79 flexibility score, which is the short shell and the three count measured against Matt Sissy and, of course, measured against all the other cornerbacks. So he's a 99-99-99 type of athlete, which is very rare. You, you, you normally don't find guys like that. And in terms of production, he also hit pretty much every sort of, you know, whether it was solo tackle mark share or pass flexion mark share indicative of a high-quality NFL player. And, of course, at the NFL level, he's done very well, too. Uh, but, yeah, Patrick Peterson is definitely, you know, a stud player. He just is that type of guy that, athletically speaking, you know, you don't need to be this freak athlete to be an NFL player, but it helps. You know, it helps to have a guy that, uh, especially with versatility, you know, just the, uh, the versatility of a cornerback where you have a guy who's that athletic, you can do anything with him. You can have him rush the passer. You could, you could do pretty much anything you want. You could move him to safety even if you wanted to. Like, he can do anything from a physical standpoint, and I think that's a big advantage for him. And as far as Slay goes, um, he's another guy not quite as athletic as Patrick Peterson. I mean, the biggest difference was just that when it comes to his lower body strength, he had a 51.59 out of 100 uh, compared to his peers which obviously is different from a 99, but he did have a very good speed score. He had a 95.15 speed score, a 73.78 flexibility score, pretty much had the athleticism traits of a, of a Pro Bowl cornerback. Uh, and so far in his actual NFL career, he's performed very well uh, when it comes to just solo tackle market share, interception market share, pass flexion market share, you know, relative to his NFL team, you know, to the Detroit Lions. So, um, he's definitely been another guy that, you know, not as freaky of an athlete as Patrick Peterson, but definitely has translated, you know, some of his college production to the NFL production is, and has been a pretty uh, decent cornerback with that sort of transition, I guess, between those two areas. Uh, we're going to hop into, into some Titans players now. Uh, in two, we already kind of mentioned market share and how it relates to some receivers that come out of college, and the Titans have two two receivers that uh, just came out of college in Corey Davis and Taiwan Taylor. Um, they went to smaller schools, uh, obviously Taiwan Taylor uh, and Corey Davis. Corey Davis went to Western Michigan. Taiwan Taylor went to Louisiana Tech, right? No, Western Kentucky. I'm sorry. Jeez. Anyway, uh, I, I follow... Uh, Kentucky, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I follow um, this website. I'm sure you know of it, playerprofiler.com. Uh, it tracks a lot of the same metrics that, that you track, uh, like um, agility score, speed score, 40-yard dash, um, burst score. Uh, and they also do other things like college dominator ratings, uh, which kind of is about market share, uh, college YPR, yards per reception, and uh, breakout age, uh, because breakout age is a really good indicator of, of future success in the NFL. Um, and I just want to get your thoughts on uh, on if you think those metrics uh do matter uh, in terms of whether Davis and Taylor are going to be successful at the next level. In terms of Davis uh, and Taylor, you know, Davis in particular, uh, he had a a 92.12 passing yards market share production score, which you could think of that as a dominator rating. I mean, the the dominator rating in many ways just adds age as another sort of factor in it, uh, Mm -hmm. which, you know, age is definitely an indicator of, of a potential upside. I call it kind of the Mozart uh, data point and that hmm. it's the sort of idea that you know if you have a guy who's like 14 years old or with Mozart case was like a little baby like a little seven-year-old guy you can make all these symptoms <laughs> it's the same sort of concept that if, if you have a guy at a very young age 
who's dominating, you know, like dominating at a young age, not just being okay, but dominating at a young age, it can say a lot about, you know, what they can, you know, how they develop. Because if you're so much higher than everybody else at a younger age, and you just continue to develop and continue to develop, I mean, that's basically the best concept. That And it, it affects every position, you know. Every position, you see a real difference between the age you know how young a player is, how productive they were. If they're if they're a dominant player at a very young age, it definitely translates from that kind of perspective. And with Taylor and Corey Davis, I mean both those guys. You know, based on the data that I do, uh, which goes back to the 1969 NFL draft class, mm-hmm. both Taylor and Corey Davis uh, hit the main sort of like the bottom end threshold for five time All Pro uh, wide receiver candidates. Now that doesn't wow. necessarily mean that they're going to be five-time All-Pro. It's just that the majority, you know, the very, the vast majority of five-time All-Pro wide receivers since 1969 hit hit into that level of uh, of competition. So uh, it's just a good thing. You know, it's what you want. Like you would hope for them to have that potential. Uh, and I think in both their cases, you know, Taylor from an athleticism standpoint, of course, because you know we got most of the, you know, he went to the combine. He did all the, you know, the drills mm-hmm. for the most part. Davis is a little bit more. I've always been a little bit more cautious with him, just because, you know, he didn't go to the combine. He didn't really do a pro day workout 100. percent So I'm just a little bit more cautious with him. And, and again, I'm just being cautious because there's no data there. But both these guys, just from a production standpoint, you know, hit every single number that you want a wide receiver to hit. So um, there's a lot of, you know, potential that they could, at the very least, become a long-term starter. Like a very high probability that. Both those guys could end up being long-term starters. Going on to another Titan on the defensive side of the ball, I know you were a really big fan of Kalen Reed. You know, he's looked good this preseason. He's been a backup corner, and he's played some safety. I think he can come in and make a push for the fourth cornerback job, somebody who rotates in if somebody gets hurt or if they want to do something special with Logan Ryan and Dory Jackson going into the slot. Uh, do you have any questions about him holding up as a number two corner if you have four guys on the field on you know as a boundary guy? Or is he somebody that you think needs to play in a specific scheme? I think he can be either or. I mean, when it comes to Kalen Reed, you know, just from a production standpoint, uh, from college, you know, he was a guy who hit every single number in terms of solo tackle mark share, uh, had a 95.71 pass deflection mark share, which just deals with his ability to you know, make plays on the football when it's in the air, uh, and then on top of that, when it comes to his athleticism, uh, he actually had a 91.21 uh, explosive lower body strength score, which just deals with how explosive his his lower body is, you know, in terms of lower body mass. So, uh, and sp- the only difference, the only sort of issues, I guess you could say, is that his speed score was only 68.95 out of 100. It only had a 60.72 flexibility, which is still above average. It's just that. Most of the time, cornerbacks like this typically, like Patrick Robinson, you know, for example, he's a very similar type of cornerback with that athleticism kind of profile. Um, But normally, this is a guy that would fit as his own cornerback, uh, can hold up as a bounder. I mean, he could pretty much do anything you want. I mean, a slot corner would definitely be uh, something that basically a slot defender kind of role would definitely be something he could excel at. Um, The only issue is just, because of his speed and flexibility, if he goes up against like a super fast, super flexible type of guy like Antonio Brown or something like that, he's going to have issues with those guys. But if you're just talking about him as a, you know, as a guy, you know, basically going downhill and, uh, you know, attacking the football, 
uh, in sort of a short area, kind of a zone kind of system for the most part. I think he he could really excel in that sort of area, you know. And he did it on film as well. I mean, he was one of my one of my favorite cornerbacks in that class, just based on purely film, you know. And the athleticism stuff was just kind of like on you know the, the icing on the cake for me at least, you know, when it comes to him. We talked in an episode we put out a couple weeks ago about how odd the nose tackle position has become through the draft and that one it's kind of a crapshoot as to when you draft one of them high whether or not they pan out and two it's very rare that one does get drafted in the first round and very rare that good quality ones are, are found I mean when you think about the best nose tackles in the NFL a name that comes to mind is Vince Wilfork and he's not even in the league anymore you have your guys like Dontari Poe Damon Harrison, the guys like that who are some of the best of the best. Talk a little bit about that position in general and uh, hit on, while you're talking about that, Austin Johnson, a guy who played nose tackle some at Penn State that the Titans took in the second round last year. Well, when it comes to the nose tackle position, uh, it's, it's, it's falling out of favor only because of the fact that the classic nose tackle type, you know, the, the 6'1", 6'2", 320-pound, uh, you know, meat kind of, you know, giant guy like the Casey Hampton or, or the Vince Wilford, like you said, uh, those guys are, are just kind of disappearing in, in college football. You know, a lot of that has to do with the up-tempo. You know, offenses are, are going for that cardio, you know what I mean? Uh, so because of that, it's just hard for these guys to maintain, you know, 320 pounds, 330 pounds of mass when they're going up against these up-tempo offenses yeah, you know, they just can't seem to catch up. You know, they can't eat enough food to maintain their mass. You know, uh, but also on top of that, it's it's very much a position that I think. You know, a lot of people talk about production. They go, "Well, production doesn't matter." It knows tackle all this kind of stuff. Uh, but based on a lot of data that I've done, when I looked at all the sort of nose tackles, you know, from Halote Nata, Cortez Kennedy, Wilfork, uh, Hampton, Kyle Williams, you know, just kind of underrated. You know, pretty much every single nose tackle. They may not have been very good in terms of sack market share or TFL market share, which is the main criticism that people have is like, oh, they don't need a sack and they don't need to do this, which, yes, the responsibilities oftentimes is not to rush the passer, but, you know, to hold down uh, and, you know, to two gap and hold down and prevent the running lanes. However, all these guys, the really special nose tackle types, did really well when it came to solo tackle market share, which tells me as just an evaluator that, you know, despite the fact, and this is with everybody, Damon Harrison, all those guys, you know, they may not have been the crazy sack TFO artists, but they definitely contributed a high amount to solo tackle march here, which I think speaks a lot to that position where production does matter at that position. It's just it only really matters with this one particular area of, you know, solo tackle mark. Basically the ability, like, you're maintaining the fort, you're maintaining the line of scrimmage, but you're also, you know, basically disengaging when you need to to make that play on that running back, you know, whenever that happens from sideline to sideline. Um, in many ways, that's kind of the, like, that's the secret sauce in no sack position anyways, is, is solo tackle march here, not so much sack and TFL. Uh, but to get to Austin Johnson, um, Austin Johnson is, is definitely someone that, uh, you know, based on data, pretty much hit every single production metric that you're looking for for a Pro Bowl uh, potential defensive tackle, with the only issue being his, his you know, his overall athleticism uh, data, and that he did not hit the minimum thresholds for uh, All-Pro 
and Pro Bowl potential guys when it comes to his athleticism. In fact, he had a, he had a 25.94 explosive lower body strength score, a 21.09 speed score, and a 29.34 flexibility score, uh, which the only score that really met the like met the minimum threshold for like a Pro Bowl potential defensive tackle uh, was the flexibility score. But he's just a below average athlete overall. But I do think that he has at least enough athleticism to, to become a long-term starter. I mean, most of his data profile fits sort of a, a starter at a defensive tackle or even a nose tackle position, and he was very productive. So, I mean, there is some potential there with him. It's just as far as, like, becoming a, a Vince Wilfork, right, or, you know, that, that all-pro type guy at the nose tackle position. That just isn't really in the cards of a guy like Kim, but he definitely could become a long-term starter. Uh, one one guy that gets overlooked in this, you know, Tennessee Titans offensive line rotation is Corey Levin, who uh, they drafted late round this year. Um, I know you're a big fan of him, and you thought he would be athletic and a great value at guard. They've been playing him some at center, and I imagine long term they're going to want him to play back up at center and guard to keep him on this roster. But did they do a disservice to him putting him at center, or do you think he can play that just as well? Yeah, for the most part, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's a disservice uh, because uh, when I when I was looking at the Tennessee Titans, you know, when I did a, a basically a, a breakdown on uh, their offensive line uh, on my you know my YouTube channel, Common Man Football, uh, and I looked at the most of the offensive line, you know, I noticed that they did have a lot of really good offensive line athletes already, you know, for the most part, you know, like Quentin Spain and um, and uh, and all the other sort of guys that they have in that in that group. Um, so I wouldn't say it's really a, a disservice to him. I mean, he is, you know, he's a tremendous athlete when it comes to speed and explosiveness uh, and, and flexibility. And I think that he's the type of guy, body type-wise, that, you know, he could play multiple interior line positions. So uh, I, I think that if, if he ends up being a starter for them at center or develop into like a solid backup guy for them at center, I don't really have any you know, qualms with that. He's a guy who could pretty much, I mean, most of the time, interior offensive linemen athletes are very similar, you know, whether it's center or guard, um, they're very similar in terms of, it's just that typically centers are less athletic. I mean, that's the only real difference is that centers typically are a little bit less athletic than guards on average. So if you put a super athletic guard at center, good things might happen. So I, I think that whether he stays a guard or moves to center, I, th- I still think that there's some positives there with him. Uh, when the Titans took Dory Jackson with the 18th overall pick, it kind of took uh, some people by surprise. Um, they Some people wanted them to go with maybe a more traditional cornerback prospect like Tredavious White from LSU. Um, but, I mean, Dory Jackson obviously checks all the boxes from an athleticism standpoint. Uh, but he was kind of a polarizing prospect, cornerback prospect at least, um, because people aren't sure if he's going to be able to be a high-level cornerback uh, because he's still learning the position uh, at the next level. Um, do you think he has the potential to be uh, like an Asante Samuel type of player or something close to him, or do you think he's going to struggle to to deal with bigger receivers and uh, and deal with and just work on his technique at the next level? Right. Um, I think with with the Dory Jackson, I mean, yeah, from from an athleticism standpoint, you know, pretty much everything was there. He wasn't like a Patrick Peterson athlete, but he definitely, you know, was above average in terms of, you know, every sort of thing. 
Um, and the only sort of issue that really came up with him was was just in terms of uh, you know pass flexion mark share. He only had a 68.90 out of 100, uh, which the majority of of all pro types and Pro Bowl types are about 77.18 or higher when it comes to that particular metric. Uh, mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you know, you just have the whole length uh, stuff with him. You know that it is true that 100% of all pro cornerbacks have 32 inch arm length uh, or more. You know, in most cases. And with him, with a guy like him, he's more so in that lesser sort of range. But I still think that he can become a successful cornerback in the NFL. Um, you know, you look at his athleticism, you look at his production, age especially. You know, he's a, he's a very young corner coming out mm-hmm. as well, which a lot of times corners that are younger, you know, again with the whole prodigy sort of thing, a lot of times age, if a corner comes out young or any player comes out young who has a couple little production things here or there, they sometimes still translate pretty well to the NFL because of still that learning curve and stuff like that. And film-wise, I mean, he was a tremendous... I mean, the one thing I could say about Adoree Jackson is I think the biggest things that I really wanted to see him improve upon, or at least things I hope he does, is that I really didn't have any problem with him in terms of his awareness on the football field from a tackling standpoint or from an angle standpoint. You know, he always usually takes really proper angles He's usually mm-hmm. getting the football as fast as possible. It's just a, a awareness when the ball is in the air. That was the only sort of thing um, when I remember watching him is that he was just a little, uh, a little young, you know, a little inexperienced when it when it came to those situations, you know, where the where the wide where he's trailing the wide receiver and he needs to you know make a play on the ball in the air. And he typically was a, a little inconsistent, you know, with that sort of ability. But if he can improve that area, you know, if he can improve his ability to 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 have good awareness, you know, when the when the ball's in the air, to have good awareness of where that is and to make the play once that ball gets to that wide receiver's vicinity, then I think he could definitely be a very uh, good starting cornerback to even a Pro Bowl cornerback. I mean, that athleticism wise, at the very least, I mean that and arm length and everything else like that, he could still be a very good cornerback. I would just say that that all pro potential and you know stuff like like a special Darrell Revis type guy. I don't from a just from a physical standpoint and what he brings to the table he doesn't quite have all those traits Mm -hmm. one last player we'll have you talk about before we let you go uh in one of your recent youtube videos on your channel as we've mentioned common man football you talked about some of the titans recent second round draft picks and when you talked about derrick henry you mentioned that his athletic uh, score is below the typical threshold for an all-pro or Pro Bowl running back and that the only running back in history to be, to become all-pro and have lower than that threshold is DeMarco Murray, one of Henry's teammates. Talk a little bit about DeMarco Murray and what traits of his, aside from his athleticism, which was average and led to him being a third-round draft pick, what traits led to him becoming an all-pro running back? Well, the biggest trait with him uh, was his athleticism overall. You know, he had a, I think specifically, he had a 90.59 overall speed score. Um, and in most of the data work I've done at the running back position, you want to have at least one athleticism trait that is above 79 or higher. And this is at every sort of position. Because, you know, there's, there's tons of people who talk about running back, and they say, well, they need to have a good three count, or they need to have a good vertical, or they need to run fast. So they don't need to run fast. But based on all the data that from all the running backs, so, you know, since 1999 at the very least, uh, you only really need to have one athleticism trait that is above average. And in Murray's case, 
you know, he had a 90.59 overall speed score on top of the rest of his athleticism data pretty much being above average with the exception of that three cone. Uh, and again, it, he's the only guy where the, the three cone is important. Um, definitely, you know, if 95% of all pro and pro bowl running backs since 1999 hit at least a 7.09 or less, then yeah, you would hope your running back ends up in that majority area. But I think the biggest things that Derrick Henry has on his side is that he does have some similarities with Murray just in terms of having some really above average athleticism traits. I mean, because, you know, he has extreme, really good explosiveness, really good speed for his size. It's just that flexibility is just a little off, you know, because he's such a huge guy. I mean, his flexibility is amazing, but oftentimes it really comes down to the functionality of it as well, you know, because there's a lot of people who, you know, talk about how functional that is. You know, like Ron Dane is definitely a, a back who ran really fast for his size, but then again, how many 250-plus pounds, you know, running backs you see running around nowadays? So um, I think that was the only sort of thing with Henry. But, you know, again, based on his production at the college level, I mean, the biggest thing is that he was a, a much more productive player in terms of, like, what, what Murray did in college was very much three-time Pro Bowl level, whereas Henry had more so all-pro, you know, the god tier, I guess, of, of running back production, you know, when he was at Alabama. And then on top of that, Derrick Henry is also a much more athletic player than Murray as well, because Murray, you know, he had a very good explosion score, you know, a 63.68 explosion score. But Henry's more so like a 90 plus percentile explosiveness Oof. score, you know, and wow, 90, you know, like he's, he's just a better all around athlete. So, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he's just a better all-athlete. Because of his size, I mean, Derrick Henry's huge. I mean, you guys know this, you know, because you're fat. <laughs> but, I mean, he's just such a unique... There's no other guy like him in the NFL right now. You can't... I mean, I'm just being honest. You know, like, mm -hmm. there's no other running back that's quite like a guy like him. And I think that's the best thing that, that he probably has going for him is that because there is anybody who's like him uh, that he could still end up possibly being, a, you know, somewhat of an outlier, kind of like Murray was. Jim, before you get out of here, please let our listeners know how they can connect with you on Twitter and YouTube and all of your other media platforms. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Geometrix, uh, which is where I'm most active. So, if you know, if you ask a question or, you know, anything like that, you know, that would be the best place to find me there. Uh, you can also follow me, you know, the Common Man YouTube, Common Man Football YouTube channel. Uh, where I do, you know, daily videos on the NFL and college football, you know, because college football is finally coming back. So I'm um, going to have, have a lot more uh, videos about prospects, individual prospects, stuff like that coming up soon. And, of course, you can also go to my blog, too, where I, I mostly post most of my film grades at draftcobran.wordpress.com. Um, so if, if you guys, if anybody's really interested in just general scout grades, you know, what everybody tells me to watch the film. I do every year, guys. So uh, that's where a lot of my work is when it comes to scouting grades and stuff like that is on draftcobra.wordpress.com if you guys want to, you know, uh, check stuff out there as well. So, Jim, it's been fun. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you joining the show. Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks, Jim. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Before we hop into talking about the Bears and Titans preseason game this weekend, I want to ask you guys, what were some of your takeaways from the interview we just did with Jim? Something that I thought was really interesting was how highly Derrick Henry scored on the athleticism scale because of his explosiveness, 
mainly because that's not often something we've been able to see from Henry. He looks slow at times. Uh, but what, what were some of the things you guys took away? Um, just uh, that he really likes Dory Jackson. It it kind of uh, it kind of just made me uh, reassured because when we drafted him, I guess I was a little skeptical just about what he'd be as a cornerback at the next level. Um, I mean, Jim doesn't think that he's going to be one of those. Like he said, he's not going to be one of those Darrell Revis guys, but I wasn't expecting that. But as long as Adore Jackson could be a fringe, like a, a long-term starter and a fringe pro bowler on that level, um, then I'll be happy. And, and Jim seems to think he will be based on his athleticism and, and some of his college production. So uh, I was reassured by that. Yeah, I really like to pay attention to the trenches. So I was listening real hard when we talked to him about uh, Corey Levin. You know, I hope that he can sit behind the starting offensive line and develop for a year. But I really liked what he said about him playing center and good things may be happening when you take a really athletic guard and moving him inside. Because Ben Jones is the glue on this team. He's great, and I'm not suggesting you replace him. But Josh Klein might not be the long-term answer. You know, people forget he was a waiver claim. He wasn't a big signing or a trade or anything like that. He was kind of an afterthought in that class when the Patriots cut him late. You know, I, I wonder if they're not looking for a replacement down the road. And if Ben Jones, who's played right guard, can move beside Jack Conklin and you can get a really athletic center, that could do great stuff for this offense. So let's begin our preview of the Bears and Titans preseason game this weekend. Someone that will be joining the team for the first time this preseason is running back DeMarco Murray. He has been absent for the first two games against the Jets and the Panthers. What are some things that you guys look for or, or, or want to see from DeMarco Murray in his preseason debut? Just as long as he doesn't get injured, I'll be happy. Because hamstring injuries have a tendency to just be brutal and just linger for for hour, days on end, weeks on end. Uh, and especially for a running back like DeMarco, um, he's kind of a bigger guy. And uh, he relies on, on his legs, obviously, very very much so. Um, I just want to see him come away healthy from this one. I really don't care if, if he if he rushes for five times or five yards. I don't care. He's going to be fine once the season comes. But in order for him to be fine when the season comes, uh, he needs to be healthy. And, uh, yeah, that's all I want to see from DeMarco. Yeah, I mean, his health is the most important thing. I would say, you know, Derrick Henry does – a great job going off tackle. That's where he scored both of his touchdowns this past week. You know, you think of him as a pound the rock, go inside, pound the A-gap kind of thing. Oh, no. Let me switch. Okay, where am I at now? Good. Good. Okay, let me jump back in. I was talking about what I want to see from DeMarco Murray. <laughs> this is always the worst part because I always like, lose my train of thought quick. All right. Yeah, health is the most important thing you want to see this weekend, but I really want to see how he does inside the tackle box. You know, Derrick Henry scored both of his touchdowns off tackle. He does a great job cutting it outside and bouncing runs that are clogged in the middle, but I want to see somebody go behind the center, behind the guard, and make three or four yards at a time. You know, and I'd also also like to see him catching passes, you know, in the flats. Derrick Henry did some of that, but 
he kind of left me underwhelmed. He would stand up and look for a big cutback that was never there. I want to see DeMarco Murray catch the ball and turn so that we can see why DeMarco Murray's a starting running back. Because if there's not that big of a difference, you know, I'm leaning towards starting Derrick Henry. Hmm. And that's a hot take. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to keep keep the show going along, and then I realized that we just had a huge well, hot take. Well, okay. <laughs> Let, let let me let me unfold it a little bit. It's not that I think he should start now, but if you're going to start the season with an injured DeMarco Murray or DeMarco Murray who's less than 100% mm-hmm. because yeah. he hadn't practiced and all that, if he comes in and can't do something, you know, significantly better than Derrick Henry, why don't you split touches? I mean, why don't you start off off the bat, have a 1A, 1B system where Derrick Henry starts and pounds the ball and really makes linebackers make business decisions, and then you have DeMarco Murray who can come in and be more versatile and be more flexible, but who can also run inside Who with it he's shown. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's shown that in the past. He's had long runs up the middle before. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, this is my stance that we should start Derrick Henry tomorrow. (laughs) But if DeMarco Murray is not markedly better, there's no there's no reason not to start the younger, cheaper guy just from a long term franchise building standpoint. I would I would still give uh, if DeMarco is fully healthy by the start of the season or throughout the whole season, I'm giving DeMarco this this one last season before he turns thirty, and then I'm turning over the keys to to Derrick Henry. But I mean, DeMarco's still still a baller yeah. as long as yeah. he's fully healthy. I, I get that. I, I'm not arguing that now. I'm, I mean, like I said, my only caveat is if everything's equal, start the young guy. That's the way I always lean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel you. In week one of the preseason against the New York Jets, the Titans faced a very good interior defensive line in Sheldon Richardson, Muhammad Wilkerson, and Leonard Williams. Against the Panthers last week, the Titans faced really good linebackers in Shaq Thompson, Luke Keekley, and Thomas Davis. This week, we go to a new position of strength for the Chicago Bears, and that is their edge pass rushers with Leonard Floyd and Pernell McPhee. This week, instead of really the guards in the center, Ben Jones being tested, uh, Jack Conklin and Taylor Lewan are going to face a really big test in this Bears defense. Uh, I'm not sure if McPhee is going to play. I think he's recovering from like a knee injury. But uh, the Bears have a really underrated front seven. They have a lot of talent on their defensive line, and also, like you said, at 3-4 outside linebacker and Floyd. Floyd is looking really good. Um, a lot of people kind of panned that pick when it happened because he was a top-10 pick, but it's looking like that was a really good pick. They also have Lamar Houston, who is really good in, in Oakland. Uh, he hasn't really—I'm not sure he's done much with Chicago yet, but, I mean, he's still talented. Uh, and they have guys along the, on the along the defensive line that just—they can plug holes in there and allow their— Three, four linebackers to just pin their ears back and rush. Guys like Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hicks, um, they got they have guys in there that are really good. So there's going to be a really good test for the entire Titans offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I would much rather see Taylor Lewan and Jack Conklin tested because I mean, you you watch them on a week in to week out basis. I mean, against the Panthers, Lewan had, you know. 10 to 15 snaps in a row where he just looked perfect. I mean, he was beating his guy in the run game. He was crossing the face of guards. There was one play where he ended up getting in front of uh, 99 for the Panthers and just putting him on the ground and moving up to the next level. And then on the other side, you have Conklin who buried guys playing against the Jets and just, 
I mean, he's such a stalwart, hard guy to move that if he can ever set his feet in front of a pass rusher, whether it's a defensive tackle, linebacker, outside, you know, whatever, once he gets that position in front of you, you're not going to beat him. He's too big, and he locks his hands on too hard. So, you know, I, I would rather see them tested now and let, you know, the guys in the middle of the line have, you know, the quote-unquote easy pickings if you're going to have – one one strength be you know significantly because because I, I think they're out I think Chicago's outside pass rushers are good you know I think that's probably the strength of their team top to bottom you know we can talk about Trubisky later but you know right now I would say that's where they're going to win games is if those guys win their matchups but you know I've got full confidence in Lawan and Conklin and you know Johnu Smith might get a test where he you know stays in the block because they had him do some of that last week where he stayed in the block edge rushers one on one and pass protection so you know we may get to sit, see yet another facet of Johnu Smith's game versus ones so yeah I'm I'm excited to see the matchup it's it's not just the pass blocking uh the I'm really intrigued in how we're going to run block because they have two really good run stopping inside linebackers in Jarrell Freeman and Danny Trevathan uh, so I really want to see us have a good game, especially after Derrick Henry ran for 36 yards on 16 carries last game. Uh, it's not going to be easy this week by any means. Uh, I just want to see us see us control the game uh, on the ground. What if this is the game where they let Mariota really call the plays, like they said they've been talking about, and he goes hurry up and motions everybody out. He's in an empty backfield. You know, he will you... tear apart this secondary. No. It, it wouldn't because it's the third game of the preseason. Like you said, the, he knows the starters are going to play a full half. You get this is your last chance at live action. You know, let him call. Some, you know, wait. Script the first eight plays, and after that, let him go. You know, if they're not making hay between the guards. You know, motion everybody out. You know, come out with Demarco Murray, Johnu, uh, Delaney Walker, uh, Taewon Taylor, and Rashard Matthews, and then just. You know, move those guys how you see fit if you're Mariota and just get the best advantage you can. And if nothing's there, spread everybody out, run as a quarterback. You, you know, he mm-hmm. can, if he has control at the line of scrimmage, I think this team will go to another level. You know, even if the defense isn't any better than it was last year, I think giving Mariota control at the line with how experienced he is and how calm and poised he is, I think that would take this team, you know, to a playoff caliber team in, you know, one drive. So I, I, w- I would love to see that just as a response to them having such good inside linebackers. So, you know, if your strengths are your outside linebackers and your inside linebackers, I'm going to take that away. I'm going to go mm-hmm. three-step drop, and I'm going to go quick passes, and, you know, you you either going to get to me quick or you're not going to get to me at all. Yeah, and you saw last year when we were running up-tempo stuff, Mari- Mariota was getting to the line, he was calling his own plays, and we were running, we were running quick, like in two-minute drills and such. We were unstoppable. Defense. He was picking apart defenses with to Jay Sharp, Richard Matthews, Delaney, and whoever else we had, Harry Douglas, and whatever. And now with the weapons he has now, if if we run up tempo stuff, no one can stop us. Finally, before we wrap up this episode, I have one more point I want to hit, and that is that in addition to Demarco Murray, there is another Titan who will be joining the team. We think anyway for his first time during the preseason. That is wide receiver Tajay Sharp. Everybody with any sort of association with the Titans, media fan otherwise, over the past week has said something about the receivers because there's so many of them and it's going to be a position that's going to be tough to to narrow down when it comes to the final cut day. 
Tajay Sharp, at this point, you can kind of pencil in as that number five wide receiver, but he hasn't even put on a helmet yet during the offseason program. How much do you think uh, being in the preseason games will help him, and what would you like to see from him over the next uh, couple of weeks? I think he's kind of in a bad situation. Uh, because he's coming straight into a competition where he's expected to to play really well, and he's coming off a, a pretty serious foot injury. This is just just has the makings of a uh, of it going poorly for him. And this has been a really tumultuous off season for him. Um, I, I want to see him play well. Obviously, I don't. I, I would never want to see someone play bad on the Titans. Uh, but this is <laughs> it, it's a pretty big game for for Sharp, and I just don't know how well he's going to play coming off coming off a serious injury, and he's only been practicing for less than a week. Um, so I, I don't know what I'm expecting of him. I'm not really expecting much, but I think people will be expecting him to make a, a serious impact like he like he made last year in the preseason. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be one of those people that kind of eats into that narrative, but you're right. I mean, I expect Tajay Sharp to win deep routes. That's where I remember him doing his best work against Devontae Davis, when they played Indy, you know, against Green Bay, he had the long touchdown. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember him being miscast as a slot guy and a guy who can go over and do the intermediate stuff, and that never really seemed to be his thing. He he didn't like getting hit. He doesn't like dealing with the linebackers, you know, but he doesn't mind going against corners. He he does well going deep. I would like to see him play that X role that they said he's going to play and let him, you know, go deep two, three times, and then if it's there – throw it if it's not check down but you know at least get him running those routes so he can start getting re-familiar with how he won in his rookie year so he can be more comfortable and you can build off that Sunday at noon the Tennessee Titans are taking on the Chicago Bears and their third preseason game at Nissan Stadium in Nashville Tennessee the game will be broadcast nationally on Fox Uh, we are back next week to recap that game from Matthias Wadner, Will Lomas, and our today's special guest, Jim Coburn. I'm Luke Worsham. We'll talk to everybody next week. Next uh, couple of weeks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.